Bethany. I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. Huzzah! Welcome back. We have a slightly more lighthearted episode this week. We do. Or at least a more lighthearted movie. Yes. Um, (laughs) after our our global misery parade that we've had going on for the last few episodes i mean don't speak yet we we, who knows what comes up next we don't have that many lighthearted options (laughs) that's true this is probably a brief a brief respite yes (laughs) so today we are talking about 2005's thank you for smoking uh directed by jason reitman and written by jason his debut his debut film i believe Yes, um, a debut film in which you can certainly tell that his father was also a movie director because not a lot of debut filmmakers get this kind of cast. <laughs> yeah, the cast in this movie is insane. Although, before we get to that, one thing that I noticed that I'm curious if you noticed or knew about, because I don't think I knew about this. Did you happen to, did any of the names of the executive producers stand out to you? Oh, shit. I feel like something did when I was watching it, but now I don't remember. So the only reason why I noticed this was because my dog decided that she wanted to go outside right out, like right after I hit play. So I ended up pausing it in the middle of the opening credits. And I happened to pause it on a screen showing some executive producer names, one of which was Elon Musk. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I have no idea how that like what the story ever heard of that. Yeah. He was he was an executive producer on this movie. Well, that is odd. Uh, <laughs> I thought so, yeah. Wow, okay. Well then. Yeah, this would have been, I mean, I certainly would never have heard of him in 2005. I don't know how many people would have known who he was that long ago. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, he was he was born into money, so it's not like he wouldn't have had sure. the money. But Sure, I mean. <laughs> wow, okay. Well, that is a weird thing. Uh, yep, I thought so. <laughs> Well, so this movie came out in 2005. I don't think I saw it in theaters. I don't think, but I would have been 21, so I saw it. I definitely didn't, but I would have been a little young. Yeah, you wouldn't have been allowed to go see an R-rated movie in theaters, probably. No. 16 or something? Yeah. Yeah. Depending on when in the year it came out, yeah. (laughs) Um, I definitely remember watching it and just being completely enthralled. Like, yeah, I feel like it was one that you and I watched together. That could like be. rented it, rented it or something. I don't remember specifically the first time I watched it, but uh, it was definitely like a favorite, favorite movie of mine for several years. Yeah, for sure. And how do you feel about it now? Uh, I still like it. <laughs> I it is uh, it has a lot of like I, I don't think that most of the third act really works very well. Like, I don't think it really comes together in the end. Mm. Uh, it, it all gets a little muddled or a lot muddled, maybe. Uh, but it is still it, it as previously mentioned, it has an insanely good cast yes. that carries it a long way. A lot of good performances. A lot of it is very funny. Yes. And I do think there is some uh, I think there is some interesting and thought provoking things in there. Uh, maybe not quite as many as. It thinks there are, <laughs> but I think there are a few. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I suppose we can talk about Jason Reitman for a minute in general because I know you and I have both been fans. Well, this is this is our second Jason Reitman movie already on here, oh, and that's right. we are, I believe we're going to have a third. We already covered Juno, and I think we did up in the air for we this. We did, too. we did, we really liked so Jason. We were, yeah, we were big, big fans of his at the time. Um, and I, I still like Jason Reitman, even if he did direct Ghostbusters. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, he's uh, his his average has definitely dropped a bit since his earlier career, but yes, and I mean he's, as, he's still capable of doing good stuff for sure. For sure, and honestly, just by coincidence, uh, Eric and I on Friday watching through our you know we were watching next movies on our list sort of thing, um, and uh, I'm just going to bring this one up now because it seems relevant. We watched Young Adults mm. on Friday, um, and it was actually really interesting to watch these two movies. <laughs> who are both which are both about like sort of despicable characters um who in the end mostly decide that they absolutely do not need to change (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, i I watched young adult a couple years ago and i was definitely kind of struck by that like her her final realization was like actually maybe i'm okay like i am (laughs) actually i'm great everyone else sucks (laughs) yeah um and I think that that this one, it's a bit more. I mean, you know, this one's written by Wrightman and not by what's her name? Uh, Diablo Cody. Diablo yeah. Cody. Um, not written by Diablo Cody, but I do still think that, like, watching this, I'm like, well, I certainly get why he was attracted to the serial adult. Right. Uh, and th- this this is uh, thank you for smoking is based on a novel, mm-hmm. which I actually read because I was that into the movie. Sure. Uh, although I hadn't realized, or at least I didn't remember until literally about 10 minutes ago when I was reading on Wikipedia who it was that wrote the novel. Uh, his name is Christopher Buckley. Okay. Who, uh, the, that name by itself doesn't ring any bells, but I was like, Buckley. And so I looked it up and he is the son of William F. Buckley. Sure. Uh, who is like basically the, the, creator of popular conservative ideology in America. (laughs) He was, he was like the, the main, like, I guess, intellectual voice of conservatism in like from the 1950s through a few decades. Uh, I think he founded the national review, which is like a right wing Mm -hmm. magazine. Uh, And apparently Christopher Buckley was, before he became a writer or before he became a like a published author, he was a speechwriter for the first Bush president, George H.W. Bush. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't remember much about the book. Um, I suspect that the book probably has some fairly uh, right leaning ideas because it seems like he does. And I feel like that is part of what makes the movie a little bit muddled. Because yeah. I don't know that Reitman necessarily shares those ideas, but I think they're still in here. Right. Along yeah, with some along with some definitely not so right wing ideas. Right. <laughs> so I feel like that's part of the part of the issue maybe, but Yeah. Huh. Interesting. <clears throat> um, <laughs> yeah, I spent a lot of time during this movie, which I did still enjoy quite a lot. I think it's um <clears throat> I mean, as you said, it um has a phenomenal cast. It's, I mean, Aaron Eckhart is truly just so fucking charming. Right. Aaron Eckhart is one of those guys who like, he really seems like he was born to be like a leading man in big movies and it just never came together for him. Like if you look through his filmography, he's had like supporting roles and really good stuff. Obviously he was in the dark Knight as, uh, as, as, uh, Two face, yeah, two face, yeah. Uh, and he was—I I still think he was really good in that role. Yeah. He, he definitely has the look of like the the politician, you know, the popular politician. Yeah. He's very well cast for that, and he has supporting roles in a lot of good stuff. But his leading roles are things like *I Frankenstein* <laughs> and 
Battle L.A., which I think was like an alien invasion movie that was supposed to be terrible. <laughs> um, yeah, the Core, which was a I don't know if you remember that. I never got to watch it, but I do remember uh, it existing. I actually saw that one in the theater. Um, yeah, and and then some like indie stuff. But as far as like big movies, his the their Hollywood's attempts to turn him into a leading man have been embarrassing <laughs> for him. Yeah, <laughs> so it's really kind of unfortunate because he is very charming, and he does definitely have the look of like a movie star. Yeah, I got that that chin dimple and everything. Yeah, it just doesn't come together for him. I don't know. Uh, But, I I mean, the rest of the cast of this movie, we should probably just run through some of it. We've got Maria Bello. We have Adam Brody. We have Sam Elliott. We have Katie Holmes. We have Rob Lowe, William H. Macy, Robert Duvall, David Koechner, J.K. Simmons. It is a crazy list of great character actors. It is. Um, and I mean, we also, you know, J.K. Simmons doing my favorite thing J.K. Simmons does, even though it's hard to pick, which is to have a role where he's just like randomly like screaming like a lunatic. Uh, I feel this, this was the movie where I fell in love with J.K. Simmons, I think. Like he had been doing Spider-Man before that and he was funny in Spider-Man. But I feel like this was the one that really cemented it for me. Like, oh, yeah, this guy. I really like this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, now he's everyone loves J.K. Simmons now. He's like a as they know, should. He's an Oscar favorite now. Even he's I believe he nominated again this year. I believe. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think this was the one for me that that uh, really opened my eyes to his immense entertainment. <laughs> yeah, no, he's great. He's great. And I was I mean, I was I had forgotten about Maria Bella, who I have not seen in such a long time. I I just, she's been doing. Yeah, I looked it up. It looks like she's been doing NCIS lately. Unfortunately, uh, she got a network TV gig. Yeah, okay. seventy-three episodes of NCIS. Okay. So. It looks like she was in that Tom Cruise Mummy movie. Or no, it wasn't the Tom Cruise one. It was the the third Brendan Fraser yes. one. And cared about that was even less cared about than the Tom Cruise one. I think. Wait, did she replace Rachel Weisz? Maybe I don't know. I haven't gotten to that one yet. We're going I to seen it either. But it doesn't look like Rachel Weisz is in it. So um, yeah, I mean it's it's a shame. I really like I love Maria Bello and she's been in some great stuff and also a lot of trash. But you know, um, sure. and uh, I was I was like, oh man, I have not seen her in such a long time. But then I looked her up and I was like, oh, it's because she's, she's. I mean, you know, whatever. Maybe that's what she wants to be doing. You get a network TV gig. You're. Mm-hmm. You're making the money. You live your life, I guess. But <laughs> right, their schedule, and you can yeah. live in one place, and yeah, I, I'm sure it has a lot of benefits. But. For sure, but a shame for us. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so I mean, the the basic premise of this movie is that Aaron Eckhart plays a character named Nick Naylor, who is the who is the, sort of the public face speaker of the what is it the center for tobacco studies or something like academy of tobacco studies academy of tobacco studies which Which is is a a a research organization founded by tobacco companies yes Uh, and he is a lobbyist for the tobacco companies Uh, so there are parallels to this in the real world i know like oil companies have you know quote-unquote research groups that you know they 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 use to pump out propaganda um I don't I was a little bit unclear on exactly when this movie was supposed to be set. Yeah. Because the whole like tobacco as a major point of public controversy feels a little dated 
it definitely doesn't feel 2005. Um, but there wasn't anything specific in the movie to indicate that it was supposed to be older, like that it was supposed to be set farther back. I don't know. At least not that I caught. But so, yeah, he he is the he's the guy who goes on the talk shows to, to the, that's kind of the opening scene of the movie is him on this this talk show uh, <laughs> with a bunch of like. Uh, anti-tobacco activists and a cancer boy. <laughs> right. Yes, our, our cancer boy. The, the, the little, the little bald teenager who's dying of cancer, and uh, his job is to go on TV and win the public over by, uh, you know, smooth talking and promising a bunch of money for anti-smoking ad campaigns. And uh, I believe he ends up fist bumping the cancer boy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's all pretty uh, funny because uh, he explains that all of these anti-smoking people that they actually want this child to die. Right, because that's how they get their funding is because they have these sob stories of kids dying, which is not entirely wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, but again, this is this is again like this is a very conservative, right-wing kind of. That's what I always heard about the uh, global warming issue. That's a standard right wing talking point about about climate change is that the, that, uh, you know, all the scientists who are insisting this is happening are only doing it because that's how they get their budgets is they make everyone afraid. Right. Right. So. Uh, and I mean, you know, I think at this point I probably wouldn't have known or understood a ton about like lobbying. I mean, I still there's still a lot I don't understand. Um, but I spent a lot of time in this movie, which is is very funny and is very like sharp and flashy and well put together and I, I spent a lot of time in this movie trying to ponder what it was about this that was so appealing to me when I was younger um, because it really was like it really was so appealing mm-hmm. um, and a thing that I kept thinking about was he has this whole scene with his son in the middle of the movie where he, where he's just like where he's trying to explain to his son like how arguing works, mm-hmm. um, basically. And he's like, so let's say that you're in favor of chocolate and I'm in favor of vanilla. And his son is like, okay. He's like, okay, vanilla is the best ice cream. So it's like, I don't agree. Chocolate is the best. I want chocolate or nothing. And he's like, see, chocolate's not enough for me. And for that matter, neither is vanilla. I want everyone to have all kinds of... And he goes through this right. whole thing and this kid's like, but you didn't prove that vanilla was the best. And he's like, well, I didn't have to. I proved that you were wrong, which makes me right. Right. Um, <laughs> if you argue correctly, you never lose. If you argue That's, correctly, uh, you're always right. You never right. lose. Um, and I, I, yeah, there's a few scenes like that that I found pretty mind blowing when I saw this movie as 16 or 17 or however old I was when I first watched it. Um, I mean, to some extent, I think that is how we were I, taught to argue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least me. Yeah, I, I think know. so. And I think there's a, I think it's, that's a, that's a pretty like, succinct explanation of that mindset um, without necessarily endorsing it. Right. <laughs> um, I, I do. There's, there's also an earlier scene in the movie between him and his son where his son is trying to write a paper for his school. Uh, he is given a essay question. Why is the American government the best government in the world? <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, I can't speak for how realistic that is as a, as a question to be given to a, public school child but um depends on the state i would imagine 
I guess so, yeah. But uh, so he and he goes off on this whole thing about how how ridiculous that question is because, you know, for one thing, is it? It's you have to first question the premise: Is the American government the best government in the world? And if it is, like, what what constitutes the best government? Like, in what way is it the best government? And there's certainly no way to prove it in two pages or whatever you're writing and all. And like, um, the one thing that he said in particular that I think was was pretty spot on was like, it's it's debatable whether we have the best government in the world, but we certainly have a very entertaining government. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very good way of putting. Like, I feel like that that kind of sums up a lot of the the problems with our government. Is that a lot of it is uh, it's it's for TV, not for right governing. I mean, I think, I think my favorite line for that scene is when his kid first asks, and he says, "Our endless appeals system." <laughs> yeah, that was his first response, which was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But so so he has this idea that I do think it's a little I don't know it gets a little weirdly lost but it does give us the opportunity to see Rob Lowe being super funny and Rob Lowe's an asshole but he right be a, a lot of a lot of this movie is kind of like it's like a a tour through where he goes and has like one scene with a great character actor yeah. and, <laughs> and then they they're not like he has one big scene with Robert Duvall early in the movie. Uh, I mean, he comes back later, but only very briefly. And then he goes and has a great scene with, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the, the guy who was, uh, Adam Brody, yeah. who is, who is like the assistant for Rob Lowe's character, but he's like bringing him up to Rob Lowe's office. And there's this lengthy thing of him, like giving him this tour of the office building. And he's just this total, like motor mouth keeps talking, jumping from subject to subject. And it's very funny. And then he has this great scene with Rob Lowe <laughs> talking about product placement and how, you know, they need to come up with a cigarette to sell in conjunction with this movie they've got coming up. And it's all very funny and they're all very well cast. They are. Um, and at some point he gets a phone call with Rob Lowe where it's like 2 a.m. or something. And Rob Lowe's, do you, like, do you know what time it is in Tokyo right now? Four <laughs> o'clock tomorrow. It's the future. Future, Nick. <laughs> and then he asks him when he sleeps and he goes, Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> he, like, there's a great, he asks him where he, if he would recommend a place for him and his son to go get some lunch. And he's like, oh, you should go to whatever's new place. He only serves food that's white. <laughs> There's also okay. the fantastic line from Adam Brody where they're looking at the giant koi fish and he's like, that one is $7,000. He's like, 7000 for a fish? And Adam Brody's like, yeah, it almost makes you want to stop eating sushi, but I guess you kind of have to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all good. It's very good stuff. Uh, what do you think we were looking to discuss in this movie, though? Because like, it is very funny and it's very like... But, like, I do feel like there was something about this movie that, like, struck a chord for us mm -hmm. that we maybe didn't know how to articulate, but we wanted well, to talk about it. I think I think I think some of it was that for me, at least, it was kind of like um, uh, some of the like questioning of the legitimacy of American democracy going on here yeah, was yeah. fairly new to me still. I'm not sure that. I feel like that is a maybe a bigger topic than the plot of the movie is sufficient to take on. I'm honestly uh, not even sure it's trying to take that on. I think that this stood out to us 
because as you said, it was it was relatively new information for us at this point. Um, and so I think it would have stood out to us. To me, watching it now, it feels like the movie is speaking to people that they assume will already have that viewpoint. Uh, right. So it's not necessarily trying to like take on these things because like, it, you know, they assume that you're kind of that you're laughing because you know this is so true, sort of thing. Right. I mean, the, the, we have uh, William H Macy as the 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 sort of lefty senator who is his his pet issue is to get a poison label put on cigarette packages. Right. Uh, and that's kind of what the movie is leading up to is he's holding these congressional hearings to, to require uh, tobacco products to be labeled as poison. Right. And he's like, I mean, he's great. He's very funny, but he, he's like, you know, he wears Birkenstocks in his office and <laughs> it's, it's, it's very like, uh, uh, it's a fairly, I think, fairly funny parody of like, you know, wealthy white northeastern liberal, right? Uh, who you know thinks that this is the most important issue in the world. Great state of Wisconsin will not apologize for its views. <laughs> right, <laughs> and but is also like, you know, he is very unkind to his employees, and like, he's clearly not a good, right, good person. Well, I mean. Like, one of the things I think about with this, too, is just a general, and I think it sort of goes alongside, <clears throat> excuse me, goes alongside the, like, American democracy thing that you're talking about. Is just, like, I sometimes find it hard to explain to people what it was like to grow up in this bubble. And I think that to, to a certain extent, I don't want to speak for you, but, like, I think to a certain extent, as I watched this when I was young, there was, like, a sense of validation here. Like this, this even the like one yes, like maybe America wasn't everything we've been taught it to be. But specifically, I kept getting stuck on the like the method of argument and the idea that like this was how this was how you win this is how you win battles. Like this is how you and like I think for me like there was a level of like yes, and it makes sense that the larger world also works like this. Hmm. Um, and like. If you are hearing from that, that we are maybe taught to argue like lobbyists, you're, you're, you're not wrong. Like, well, there's there's definitely an because like one of the things that has become increasingly clear to us, at least, and I think to many other people over the last half a decade or so, yeah. is the the sheer amount of like bad faith arguing going on from coming from the right mm -hmm. that they're arguing things that they don't even necessarily actually believe they're certainly arguing things that their actions don't portray them as believing. Right. But the, so, you know, that, that is very much, obviously Nick Naylor doesn't believe that cigarettes have no health downsides. Right. No, it is not. <laughs> but, and, 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 you know, he's, he's quote unquote, he's not arguing that. Right. But his, his job is to argue around that. Well, and what he ends up focusing on and what is like workable for him is not so much about tobacco, not having, negative health impacts it's the idea of personal choice right which we should certainly yeah. know in this day and age more than any other maybe but but always probably in america but that is like one of the most compelling arguments to the public right. the idea that like you know the government shouldn't be making decisions for you right based on personal, things. and <laughs> for your own actions or for how you should raise your kids yes which of course is also a very i mean constant hot button issue but is particularly so in in this moment 
And and so I did think about that some in terms of like, yeah, like the winning argument is like personal responsibility and uh, personal choice and the the right to raise your kids how you want. And like, you know, and again, like the interesting thing about Nick, and I think that, that this is sort of this is sort of what what ends up what they're trying to do in the last third is the idea that he does live by some kind of code. Like he has some sort of central through line where this is how he's choosing to this is how he like lives with himself mm-hmm. is the idea that he does believe ultimately in personal responsibility and these things. And if people are going to be stupid and do stupid stuff, that's not his fault. That's not his problem. Well, I, I think part of what is at least supposed to happen in the movie is that that like that is kind of what he believes. And he, he sort of comes to realize in the, the finale of the movie that he has uh, maybe not betrayed that idea, but he's he's gotten caught up in this thing that goes against that idea because he has. <laughs> so part of what happens in this movie is we have Katie Holmes as a reporter who is doing a story on him. And we this is one of the the aspects of the movie that really bothers me now, although it didn't at the time. But there it, it the has <laughs> it, it has it has the trope of the female reporter who just sleeps with the guy that she's interviewing in order yep. to get privileged information right yeah which that was not a trope that i was aware of at the time and like right. but it's it is definitely a thing and this movie just dives headfirst into Straight it like there's no <laughs> it's literally like i mean they have like this op- this first scene where they're talking at a restaurant and it's you know they're flirting and it's kind of funny and charming and then it just like immediately <laughs> but before they end up having very acrobatic sex in his apartment uh there is a line where she she just asks him like you know what 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 is your how do you live with yourself why do you do this and he says everyone has a mortgage to pay right and then there's a little voiceover cut in which is a thing in this movie where he 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 refers to the argue, the the point that he just made the, his own defense as the yuppie nuremberg defense yes <laughs> which is something that i still think about a lot <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and then he has a kind of funny line about how most things in the world, good or bad, are done to pay a mortgage. So maybe the world would be better if everyone rented, <laughs> uh, which but uh, so he his his whole personal responsibility thing doesn't really fit into what he's doing here. He like tries to see himself as like above it or separate from it somehow, I feel like um, right. like when it gets like the thing that, that pushes when William H. Macy is asking him in the thing like what would happen if your if your son wanted to smoke a cigarette and you know he does his little well he's not 18 that wouldn't be legal and William Chase's like yeah yeah I saw you give that answer in 2020 but like when he's 18 are you gonna sit down and smoke a cigarette with him and he finally sort of a little bit angrily maybe leads forward and says if he wants a cigarette then I'll go buy him his first pack right um and <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think the ending is a bit muddled. It's hard to. Well, like what what conclusion do you think the movie lands on? Because he so he he goes through. I mean, we're, we're skipping around a lot. We're not going to. I don't think we're going to go through this it's movie. It's not plot that kind of movie. Point. Go watch but the movie. And, and, but before the end of the movie, he is fired from his job at the Academy right. of Tobacco Studies at, because of this this newspaper piece by Katie Holmes's character, because she takes a bunch of stuff that he said while they were having sex and, uh, and you know, 
it, it's yes, very he has, a, he has a line where he says I, I assumed everything I told you while I was inside of you was privileged information right and she's just like <laughs> oh, we could have talked anywhere you wanted to have sex that's fine but I'm still going to be doing my thing right so he gets fired and he at the end of the movie they offer him his job back because he has this great he gives this great speech at the the congressional hearing uh, but we find out that he he turned it down because he basically felt like he couldn't justify it anymore and he had to set a better example for his son but then he starts have, a consultation. We have, yeah, we have this final little scene where we see that he is basically just doing the same thing just for. Although, although <laughs> that final scene really bothered me because it makes it seem like cell phones and brain cancer. There is actually absolutely yeah. no evidence that cell phones cause brain cancer. Like, um, like, let's see, there was one study that followed more than 420,000 cell phone users over a 20 year period. And there was absolutely no evidence of any link between cell phone and brain tumors. So yeah, like, it wasn't the best choice. For so that. that's unfortunate but. because <laughs> it makes it sound like, but that, that may have been less clear at the time Possibly, this was written, but it's but, just unfortunate uh, now at least. Yeah. Yeah. But so that's like, he kind of has this, this character arc where he, he realizes maybe that he's been buying into his own bullshit a little too much and, he he needs to take some responsibility for things for his role as a father and the example he's setting and stuff. But then we see that he basically just continued to do the same thing. So I don't <laughs> maybe this fits into Jason Reitman's uh, we, we were talking about earlier that the final arc of the characters is the realization that eh, I'm probably fine. Yeah, doing it's, been, it's been too long since I've watched Up in the Air, but like he doesn't undergo like a really meaningful transformation either, right? Like it looks it looks like he's going to, but then he kind of. Well, it's been a while for me, too, and we don't necessarily need to spoil the end of that movie right. here. But as I recall, his his arc towards personal change gets rather rudely interrupted about right. halfway yeah. up. <laughs> I don't remember where he was at at the end either. But So I was, try I was trying to think of that with other Jason Reitman uh, projects. I mean, I, I think you and I were both were both fans of his television show, uh, Casual. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, which is a show I liked a lot, and which I think does have a little bit more in the way of characters changing. Wait, it was like a four season show. They had to, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, Tully, which I like, I like Tully a lot too. Um, that one maybe doesn't quite fit into this in the same way. Um, Juno does. See, it's hard when it's stuff because I feel like, like I feel like him and Diablo Cody work really well together, but also don't have inherently the same, like the same thing that he does by himself. I don't know. I don't know. I I guess I guess I think they have, their contrasts fit well together. I think right. is what. Yeah. <laughs> like I guess that I feel like he seems to be drawn towards stories about like broken people. So to speak right like or or people who are you know people who are in trouble or or whose lives are sort of whatever and then like what happens with those people it seems a little less clear i don't know i i, I don't think there's a there's a through line per se i was trying to figure out if there was one but i i i haven't really found one um but it does feel like there's something there that i'm just not picking up on i don't know yeah i'm not quite sure either um, I, and I, I do think that in this movie, at least part of the issue is just that it all gets a little muddled in the end. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think he hits his point as clearly as he probably wanted to. Yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, I, it, it's an enjoy, it's 90 minutes. It's fun. Mm -hmm. 
It's like right. You've got you've got multiple scenes of him and Maria Bello and David Koechner as the 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 mod squad, the merchants of death. So they're Maria Bello is the the head lobbyist for the alcohol industry, and David Koechner for the firearms industry. And they meet together at a restaurant once a week or whatever, and they sit around and discuss uh, tactics for um, duping the public, basically. <laughs> And they compare numbers on how many people their products kill, and it's all pretty funny. Um, there's you got Sam Elliott, uh, who is, I mean, perfectly cast as the original Marlboro Man. Absolutely. Uh, you know, that's that's almost too obvious, really. But he he's great. I mean, he's a great actor, obviously. But his the his thing in this movie is that he's now dying of cancer and is making a bunch of trouble for for the tobacco industry. So they send Nick out there with a suitcase full of cash to try to buy him off. Um, but he's great. I mean, he has a great, just like, he's usually like a very sort of, and he still is like a very kind of commanding presence, but just phys- he had, he, he really had the physicality of like a sick old person mm-hmm. done very well, which is definitely not his normal Right. mode yeah no, like, for sure. <laughs> i was i was I, that was something that i really noticed this time that i was really impressed by like he just sits on the couch and he just looks small mm-hmm. like he's he's a person who's been shrinking for the last several years because he's got cancer and like you know that is that is outside of his normal thing and he does it very well um yeah i mean it, it's overall it's, it's very enjoyable it's interesting um it, i mean i i do think it feels like a like a good freshman effort but also still like a freshman effort i think yeah um Oh, we should we should probably mention. Uh, of course, Jason Reitman is the son of Ivan Reitman, right? Who, who just passed away uh, about a week ago. Yeah. Ivan Reitman, of course, best known for uh, for directing Ghostbusters, the original, um, but many other things as well. He was mm-hmm. he was definitely a a landmark guy uh, in the eighties and and nineties. So, R.I.P. Ivan Reitman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, apparently Jason had a complicated relationship with his father, which he, uh, which makes sense, I guess, um, which he supposedly yeah. was trying to work out in the new Ghostbusters, which is bleak, honestly, y'all. Um, I. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to yeah, go see it. You're, you're probably better for it, but. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, overall, it's good. It's, I, it did make me think some about sort of the ways in which we were taught to perceive the world. I was trying to remember what dad thought of this movie, which I think he thought was overall like entertaining. I yeah. Know. I don't know. I think he probably would have, uh, I think he probably would have been a little bewildered by it. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. Uh, Our father likes clear cut straight storylines. Yeah. Straight sure in both liked... the sense of straightforward and also heterosexual, <laughs> ideally. Which I mean, to be fair, this one does. This is a very straight movie very in that straight. sense. That, but, that, I mean, uh, that's true with most of Raymond's stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess with the exception of Casual, in which there is a little bit of queerness. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I mean, like, especially if you like, if you haven't seen this movie yet in, in 2022, uh, like, yeah, it's it's 90 minutes. It's streaming on stars or it's you can rent it for a few bucks or whatever. Um, and it's it's an enjoyable time. Uh, it, it honestly is worth checking out just yeah. for the cast alone. Oh, I yeah. I mean, there's I guarantee if you like movies, there's at least a couple people in here that you really like. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> true, true. <clears throat> I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Robert Duvall extensively because we covered The Apostle, and he's one of the the greatest actors that the American movie industry has ever had. And, you know, he only has a little part in this, but he's quite good. Yeah. uh, As basically like a... The, the last living tobacco baron. Like basically. he's basically li- he's basically living like it's the antebellum south. Um. Yep. When he gets uh, buried, his casket is lowered into the ground by six black men in pink coats. Yep. And white gloves. Yeah. It's, uh, it's quite a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the movie doesn't really like make any kind of more commentary on race or like no, it doesn't like that. It, it, it leaves all of that alone, which. You could argue about how good of an idea that was, but it also is already trying to cram a lot into 90 minutes. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know which is worse, like Jason Reitman not attempting to deal with that at all um, or Jason Reitman attempting to deal with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's yeah. 40 for like see, 87, 97. So he was 28 when he made this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know which is worse in terms of that, like having 28-year-old Jason Reitman not try to touch that topic or having 28-year-old Jason Reitman try to touch that topic. Yeah, that's a tough call. Uh, so, you know, whatever. Your mileage may vary. Um, mm-hmm. um, I, don't, I mean, you know, we could probably trade off funny lines for a few more minutes, but I guess we might as well leave those for people to find for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I do yeah I I think it is worth it's worth the time I still yeah. really I still think it's funny enough to I think I still have it at an eight out of ten so yeah I mean that's where I'm leaving it too yeah I mean it's one of those things where it's like is it like more ethically complicated and complicated in general than I realized it was uh, when I was growing up sure but like is it really hella enjoyable to watch like, yes absolutely right. yeah um, I, and, <laughs> you know as far as like movies that we thought were great when we were younger that are now problematic, you could definitely do a lot worse. Oh, for sure. I mean, and we have done a lot worse in this show. So. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's choose what we're going to watch next, then. Okay. Uh, how many have we got left? 63. 63. Yeah. Okay. What is number 25? 25 is... Oh, okay. 25 is God on Trial. We have to see if we can get this one. Oh, the misery uh, continues. Yeah. Uh, I think this was the last one that I... This was, I think, the other one on here that I was like, shit. Well, this one was like a PBS thing or something, wasn't it? It like, was. Okay. Not really a movie. Right. Let uh, me Let me try... If Let's see if it's on YouTube. That's honestly the most likely. Uh, yeah. Just Watch has it not listed anywhere. Yeah, I saw that. Um, <clears throat> okay. It might be on YouTube. Let's see. I think it, yeah, I think this is actually it. Okay, it is up on YouTube. Okay. Um, 85 minutes, it looks like. Okay. Um, so. That, that'll be, uh, yeah, this is a, um, <clears throat> for Ice was most people probably don't know. This Why a, would they? I don't I know think, how I found this. <laughs> I don't know if this is a true story or if it was a fictional thing that was written afterwards, but it is, it's essentially a play that they filmed set in a concentration camp where a group of the prisoners decide to hold a, a literal trial for God for the crimes that he's committed by allowing them to end up in these circumstances. <clears throat> um, I remember it being quite compelling, but... 
It's been a while. Uh, it says the play is based on an event described by Eli Weissel in his book, The Trial of God. Although, um, Cottrell Boyce, uh, the man who wrote it, um, describes his tale as apocryphal. Okay. Um, so it, it, it may not be a real story, but I remember it being... Right. Whew, okay, well, this truly was a brief respite then. Okay. Indeed. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well... to what we're gonna what we've been watching um we're gonna we're gonna do a brief pause uh because the oscar nominations happened between they did this uh this recording and last recording our plan uh because it's our show and no one can stop us is um <laughs> we're gonna talk a little bit about you know any of our thoughts on the oscar nominations and stuff now and then for uh, we are going to do a special mini episode towards the end of March that we'll release on the 22nd, where we'll give our predictions. Um, we're putting them down because Joel and I are going to to fight against each other here um, and see who gets the most right. Um, and whoever whoever loses has to watch whatever movie the other person says. So, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know about you, but I I do not feel particularly well prepared this year. Um, well, I mean, I, I guess we can start with that. Like when we're talking, like when we're talking nominations, like how many have you seen of Best Picture? Well, right. So I usually, I mean, in previous years, I have been pretty determined to like make sure that I that I see all of the the movies that are getting that kind of buzz. Right. Um, that that has become less important to me over the last few years. Um, I still just to make a sucker for a list. So I love. Yeah. Uh, this year in particular, though, let's see. I have only seen five of the ten Best Picture nominees. Okay. Okay. So, so I've seen eight, <clears throat> um, and I should be seeing. I think. I think we're hoping to watch Coda this weekend. Um, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, a couple of these on here are, are well. I think there's only one that I haven't seen that I really want to see. The other ones I haven't seen because I just didn't care. Coda's supposed to be really good, it, though. Uh, that depends on who you ask. I, I know it got very good reviews. I saw some stuff when it first came out that basically its portrayal of the deaf community is offensively bad. Ah, um, yeah, I, I must have missed that. I'm the, the whole the whole plot involves like she the main character is the the only hearing person in a right a deaf family, and apparently there's a, like she wants to be a singer, and apparently her whole family just doesn't understand why anyone would be interested in music. And they're totally, they feel they're oh, like trained the family by, oh. this is okay. my understanding. Well, that's Again, not great. Right. That's I, not I haven't right. seen it. That's my understanding though. Um, so a lot of deaf I, people do like music or hearing. It right. Weird. Exactly. Like, that's that's, that's exa- like, it's a very simplistic portrait. <laughs> that's what I, this is what I've heard. This is why we have, uh, this is why we have uh, uh, <clears throat> language interpreters at concerts. Really. Right. Uh, uh but at any rate, based on all of that that I heard at the time, I, I ended up skipping it. Um, and I was I didn't have any idea, honestly, that it had that kind of buzz going still. I, yeah, I, I was surprised. surprised to see it on the list of nominees. Yeah. So what but, are the uh, other ones? I haven't seen Coda and Belfast. What are the other ones? You I haven't I haven't seen Belfast either, again, because I didn't I saw the trailer for Belfast. I thought it looked like shitty Oscar uh, bait stuff and it didn't look interesting to me at all. So I didn't see it. Um, you haven't seen King Richard. I haven't seen King Richard. I haven't seen Don't Look Up. Uh, I'm I'm like sort of mildly interested in Don't Look Up, but I certainly I think everyone agrees that it's kind of the embarrassment on this list. Although a lot of people think it's going to win anyway. I mean, everyone on Twitter. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
So yeah, those are the Belfast Coda, Don't Look Up, King Richard, and Licorice Pizza I still haven't seen. You still haven't seen Licorice Pizza? No, I haven't had a chance yet. I haven't I haven't found a chance yet. That one is I mean, that's that is top of my list of remain of nominees that I still haven't seen for sure. Okay. But um I have not made it to that one yet, even though it is still playing here, but I haven't I haven't made it happen yet. Fascinating. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that, like, I've done fairly well this year. Um, you know, Morgan and I have just been watching so many movies that, like, we we really did. So I, I especially at the end of the year, I really made a point. So, like, you know, I wa- we watched Being the Ricardos in December, um, which is fine. <laughs> um, like, it's, it's fine. I don't know. Um, and uh, let's see. Some of the other ones. So, like, I have not it, out of every nomination, and I won't bother going through like the the like. There's 53 nominations total for every single mm-hmm. category. I have seen 25 of them, and I haven't watched it. 53, 53 nominated movies. You mean nominated movies? Yes. 53 there are way more than 53 nominations. Yes. <laughs> 53 <clears throat> nominated movies. Um, I have seen 25 of them, and that and we haven't gotten to the shorts yet, of course. So that's like another 15. Um, I, I have only seen 30% of the nominated movies, it looks like, based on this letterbox list that I'm yeah, looking at. I'm at like 47%. So, yeah. Um, and, you know, a few of them we were definitely going to watch anyway. I've been really looking forward to watching Flea, which is up on uh, Hulu. Yeah, it's on Hulu now. I noticed that. So, uh, so that's that great. Um, we are hoping to go see Cyrano probably while we're in California next week, and I'm so excited for this one. I've been listening to the soundtrack. I'm really thrilled. <laughs> Um, yeah, that one looks cool. I'm looking forward to that one, too. Really, really excited. Just truly, truly incredible that Joe Wright has never directed a musical before, but I'm so excited to, <laughs> That's the one, yeah. to see it. Um, so, yeah, and then, you know, I mean, I'm always kind of interested in the documentaries, but even there, I think I've seen, I mean, I, I've seen a few of the international film nominations this year, which I usually have not. Um, but Well, let's, let's actually talk a little bit about that, because one of the, so there's a couple, in my mind, this is a little bit of a... Again, there's a lot of stuff in here that I haven't seen because I wasn't interested in it. So to me, this is a little bit of a weak year. Uh, but there are definitely some one of the one of the big stories for sure this year is Drive My Car. Yes, which is absolutely. Uh, a three hour Japanese drama that got nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay and Best Foreign Language Film, which is. And it's fucking incredible and deserves everyone. Yeah, we'll talk about it because, yeah. And that, I mean, that is, I actually looked it up how many how many foreign language films have ever been nominated for best picture yeah uh and they're definitely i think there was a total of 13 and four of them have been in the last five years i think yeah yeah so it is definitely a trend and obviously of course a couple years ago we had the first ever winner with parasite was the first ever foreign language film to win best picture the academy Um, changes slowly but it is changing (laughs) Uh, i don't think we're likely to have a, a, a a repeat of that i don't think it's drive my car has much chance of winning but it's great that it got nominated. It really is. It absolutely is. Uh, and I mean, it seems it seems like a lock to win at least Best International, I would think. Right. And then we also have, as you were talking about, Flea mm-hmm. got uh, Best International, and it also got nominated for Best Animated Film and Best Documentary, mm-hmm. which is a great combination of <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> combination of nominations has ever occurred before. <laughs> um, yeah. And what was I swear there was one other foreign film that had like a couple of significant I was just looking because like uh, Worst Person in the World has original screenplay and Best International Film 
um, parallel mothers. Oh, that one didn't make Best International. Oh, the worst person also got yeah, but also got a no- nominated for original screenplay. That was the other one. Yes. Um, and that I, I, that one is really high on my list as well. I haven't gotten to see that one yet, but All right, um, last week <laughs> uh, we'll talk about it. Um. Yeah, I mean, no, I think, is there anything, watch, looking, at, like, when you heard the list, was there anything you were like, fuck, I can't believe they didn't nominate that, or? Yes, because, as uh, lawyer, loyal listeners may recall, <laughs> when, we did our top, when we did our top ten of the year episodes, you may notice that my top four movies are all completely absent from this list of uh, nominees. <laughs> so, that was kind of a bummer. Um yeah, I, I, mean, really I think my top five, right? Because a good shot at right because you we had the same top five except for you had what's it called it number and yeah did that not get nominated for best oh, song or anything? Nothing, no? nothing. No, it didn't get nominated for best song. What the fuck? Uh, yeah, usually that's I mean usually that's like a thin category. If you you write a song for a movie, it usually gets nominated. No, instead, uh, but I guess there, there were a lot of musicals this year. I was just so. saying instead there was a nomination for a movie that I have never heard of. Called the Four Days or something like that. Four, four good days, yeah. Four that was days. um, uh, that was that was definitely meant to be like a uh, an Oscar Beatty. Um, it's uh, Mila Kunis and Glenn Close. So of course, you know Mila Kunis trying to get serious cred and Glenn Close trying as she does always to <laughs> finally win an Oscar. Uh, I believe that is a, mo- a movie about a mother and daughter trying to get through like the first few days of uh, drug rehab. The daughter is yeah, like yeah. trying to get through the right. initial. Uh, yeah. And it, it got some buzz when it first came out, but it was a while ago and I haven't, I had forgotten about it until I saw it on this list. I didn't realize it got nominated for best song. You did. Just, <laughs> I had to look it up. I was like, what the fuck is this? I mean, out of my top 10 of last year, eight or no, seven of them got zero nominations. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them uh, I wasn't but, expecting. I mean, you know, it's right. Uh, like but the, the the other piece of big news and good news is the power of the dog was the leading nominee got ten nominations. Jane Campion is the favorite to win best director, which would, and she is the first woman to ever be nominated twice. Um, so fucking bleak. But yes, yay Jane Campion. Yeah, no, <laughs> I hadn't realized that. I was thinking that um, uh, what's her name? Catherine Bigelow. Catherine Bigelow had been nominated twice, but I guess she didn't actually get nominated for Best Director for Zero Dark Thirty. Like, it got the Best Picture nominee, but it, she didn't get nominated for Director for that, I guess. Hmm. I mean, yeah. No, I mean, it's it's great news for Campion, who is who is awesome. Um, it's been fascinating watching the Twitter discourse on Power of the Dog and the people who are like, this movie was too obvious, and the people who are like, I almost missed what happened. And I'm like, I I mean, I think I would have missed I've what happened. I've still a lot of people said they straight up did miss what happened. <laughs> We've seen a lot of people who absolutely did miss what happened. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's been really interesting watching that. And it's nice because it's less of an infuriating conversation to me. It's it's more just like puzzlement. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm, yeah, no, I'm thrilled to see that it got so many nominations. And it's, it is one of those, like... If I had watched that movie again before making my top 10 list, I think it may have been higher on my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I really think that one is going to improve on a rewatch. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's probably true. Yeah. Great stuff. Um, some of the best performances of the year, which all, okay, this is another thing. All four, like, of the sort of lead performances in that movie got nominated, uh, including. Our girl, Kristen Dunst, for the first time, Kristen and Dunst. also. Yes, um, her, her husband. Her husband. Also, years overdue for an Oscar nomination. Absolutely. I've been 
I have been blowing the the Jesse Plemons horn for years, trying to t- tell everyone that he's like one of the best actors of his generation, and I feel like no one's been listening. But uh, he he finally has his his first Oscar nomination here. Not that he's likely to win, but it's great to see him on the board at least. Oh, absolutely! Did uh, you see the Did you see the little uh, the little interview with Kirsten on which yeah, uh, I, 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 yeah, no, it was great. <laughs> and also, we have we have two married couples who are both. We do. Because Javier Bardem and uh, um, Penelope Cruz. Penelope Cruz, right. Talk both, about a gorgeous both. fucking couple. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I heard Javier Bardem was on WTF a couple weeks ago. He's great. Um, nice. Actually, so was, uh, so was Jesse Plemons. He was also on WTF. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate. Um, yeah, no, that's a fun thing. And, and good for marital harmony, I think, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Cody Schmidt McPhee also got nominated for The Power of the Dog, which is, I feel like he had, I hadn't seen him in anything in years before that movie. I thought he had kind of disappeared, but mm. maybe we'll kind of bring him back and he was quite good. He was, yeah. Uh, and of course, Benedict Cumberbatch, who was one of my favorite performances of the year for sure. Incredible job, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I mean, you know, it's not, I, and I am excited. I am still very much hoping that, uh, that uh, Kristen, why am I? Suddenly, only able to think of Kristen Dunst, uh, <laughs> Kristen Stewart, um, will uh, bring home Best Actress because I want her to be an Oscar winner, um, and because even though Spencer, I did not love Spencer as much as some people did, but I did think the performance was incredible. Uh, I think it's probably going to either go to Olivia Coleman or uh, Nicole Kidman personally, but uh, and obviously I will not be mad if Olivia Coleman wins. I'll yeah. be annoyed oh, if Nicole Kidman wins. Also, for the record, Jesse Buckley nominated for Best Supporting Actress for The Lost Daughter. Yes. It was another one of those like she has been, you know, uh, clearly up and coming as one of the best of the current mm-hmm. generation of actors, and so this is her first nomination. So that's great. She was great in that movie. One hundred percent. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of good news. A lot of good lot news, of cool some less, but that's that's always the case. It's definitely not like I, you know, I've definitely had Oscar nomination days where I woke up and was just filled with fury. Right. <laughs> uh, I would have maybe liked to see the tragedy of Macbeth have a slightly better showing. Uh, yeah, it was surprising. Denzel getting nominated is always great, and it, you know, it got some of the technical stuff, which it obviously sure. was going to get. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I would have, yeah, I would have liked to see that one get a Best Picture nod, but. Yeah, well, maybe over Don't Look Up, even, um, which I have seen and which is appallingly terrible. Um, I'm going to join the Twitter crowds on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> okay, cool. So um, not next recording, uh, not next time, but the time after that. Um, yeah, right. the week before the Oscars, we will put out a little our, our uh, guesses. And then we'll get to talk. Our prediction. <laughs> Our prediction. And then you'll we'll get to well, you'll hear in the first show in May <laughs> how that went <laughs> how that went down and what what's happening. So okay. cool. All right. Well, um, do you want to go first or should I? Uh, you probably have a lot more than I do, so why don't you go first? I don't know. I haven't watched quite as many as I did last time, but there's definitely a lot of stuff that um, that I've that I've watched. Um, my goal is to get to a uh, hundred movies by the end of this month. Um, mm. Morgan got to 100 movies by the end of January, but um, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're definitely ahead of me. Uh, anyway, so let's see what was the last. So I had already watched. Yes, I had already watched Licorice Pizza and stuff. Okay. Um. So I have been doing the Criterion Challenge on my own and also with Morgan. Um. Just partly because it 
makes me watch more Criterion movies and you know, that's always nice. Um, so I hadn't done the one from my birth year. So I picked one that I had never heard of um, that is called Old Enough from 1984. Uh, it is directed by a woman named Marisa Silver or Marissa Silver um, and also written by her. Um, she has not done a lot else. She has seven director credits. And her last one was in 1992 for an L.A. Law episode. Ooh, okay. uh, but uh, but old enough was her was her uh, debut film, debut feature, and it's a really interesting little movie. It is um, this about this kid who's I believe 11, about to turn 12, sort of right at that like pre-adolescence period. Mm-hmm. Um, her family is is very well off in the middle of New York City. They own like the whole building that they live in sort of thing, have a maid who watches her during school days, um, Lonnie. And she meets uh, an old, a slightly older girl, probably 15 or so, named Karen, um, who is played by a woman named Rainbow Harvest. Uh, who that has, seems far-fetched, but who okay. Who has, like, five acting credits and then vanished off the face of the earth. I literally went down, like, a Google rabbit hole trying to figure out what happened to her, and there were multiple, like, Reddit threads and stuff of people being like, what happened to her? <laughs> like, nobody seems to know. Anyway, um, she was good, though. They were both good. And it's, you know, it's it's a really interesting sort of coming-of-age thing about sort of this summer. I, I, I would say functionally sort of this summer where Lonnie... Um, is like moving from being a kid into being a teenager. Uh, and, um, and there's like really interesting, like, you know, like Karen's family is not rich at all. They, you know, her dad's the super at a building. And, um, so she's sort of fascinated and jealous of Lonnie's, you know, life. And Lonnie doesn't even really know enough at this point to understand that everyone doesn't live the way she does. (laughs) Like, um, and you know there there's some shoplifting and various like the but it's it's a really interesting little story i think that that is really like captures a a super specific point in time um specifically for like a young girl and it was just it was really good it was <laughs> and i never heard of it and uh it's up on criterion so people should go watch it cuz it's it's a really interesting little piece okay um let's see Morgan and I watched uh, Tig Notaro's Boyish Girl Interrupted, which I had seen before, but Morgan had never watched any Tig stand-up, so um, love that. Love love Tig. Uh, <laughs> Was that the one that she, that she did right after the surgery? Yeah, where she took her shirt off on stage. Yeah, that that still strikes me as one of the, like, I think that's the only uh, special of, of Tig's that I've seen, but that, that still strikes me as one of the... Uh, the bolder things I've ever seen a stand-up comic do. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, I mean, it's I was, I was very impressed by that. I mean, I like Tig a lot, but yeah, no, no, I, for I sure. found that very impressive. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, Eric and I, well, the next movie on Ebert's list was Pinocchio, um, the animated the Disney one. Yeah. Okay. So we watched that, um, which was which was fun. Um, interesting little movie. Um, but, uh, brief. Brief side note: Have you heard about Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio movie? I have heard rumors that's, that this is a thing, but not. It's his next. His next thing. He's doing it for Netflix. It's a, a like a stop motion animation thing. And okay. uh, he was on WTF. He talked about it a little bit. And apparently, he reset it so that it is now set during the rise of fascism in Italy. And okay. 
the way he described it was that it's about Pinocchio trying to figure out why all the real people around him keep acting like puppets. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Sounds incredible. I'm really yeah. excited about it. Yeah, no, I, I'm in for that. Cool. Yeah, um, anyway. So, yeah, so we watched that one. Uh, we watched uh, Death on the Nile. We went to the theater to see Death on the Nile, which was fine. I, yeah. <laughs> it's, it looks nice. It's it's fine. I, I slightly I enjoyed Burner on the Orient Express a little more, I think. Um, and then uh, Morgan and I went to go see Drive My Car, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, I did not know how I, we went to this like little theater. You know, it was coming to like 100 screens or something mm-hmm. that weekend. And I, I figured out where in Seattle it was going to be. And we ordered tickets in advance, which was good because as we were waiting to go in, you know, their capacity is really, is a lot limited. It's a small mm-hmm. theater. Um, as we were going in, I think we saw two or three different people that came up and were like, go see Drive My Car. And they're like, nope, <laughs> all sold out. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and they were doing like one showing that day. So <laughs> so I was really pleased with myself. But mm-hmm. um in terms of the movie, holy shit. Uh <laughs> I it, it's so interesting because Morgan and I watched this movie and I was just I had so many feelings that I actually didn't even cry. But like mm. it wasn't because I wasn't touched, it was because there were like too many feelings. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, and, no. Just, no, go ahead. Like the movie is coming to HBO Max on my birthday, March second. I saw that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, which is wonderful. Uh, so anyone who hasn't had a chance to go to one of the hundred theaters <laughs> that it's screening in, please take the time to watch this movie if you possibly can. Um, it is such. It's honestly such an incredible feat. Like it's such. Uh, like it is three hours. It needs every minute of them. It is such like a slow unveiling of so many things. And like, it sounds mm-hmm. so pretentious mm-hmm. to be like, you know, this movie is about art and grief and all of And it is, it's about all of those things, but like, it's just, it's just incredible. It's just fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we walked out of it and Morgan was like, um, I intellectually see that that was a super good movie, but I was oh, no. not feel anything. <laughs> And then we went to go see Worst Person in the World, which I'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. We went to go see that the next day, and we had exactly opposite responses. Interesting. Where Morgan okay. felt like so many things, and I was like, I can see how that was a good movie, but I didn't feel anything. Interesting. <laughs> but um, I'm definitely going to make Eric watch it when it comes out in March. So I'm going to watch it again, because I really think that this movie is going to benefit there's so much there like holy shit like what a rich complex film um yeah so you watched it too you loved it i did yeah and i guess i might as well talk about it now i mean i uh it is one of those movies that i kind of i I almost feel like ill-equipped to even talk about it (laughs) I the the term that kept coming to mind for me when I think about this movie is that this is like this is a soul expanding movie. Oh, like, I love that. I love that. <laughs> this is I mean, you're talking about like the way the way it uh, the way it kind of. Uh, what's the unravels? Uh, un- yeah, unravels it, 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 the way it deals out information and the way you learn things about the characters in their past is almost almost like a thriller like you would expect something mm-hmm. like that like, like you, have, you have plot twists where you learn that this character had the, whatever that this this dynamic existed before and you didn't know about it or whatever right. but it's 
obviously it is not a thriller. No. <laughs> it's not that at all. It's very much a drama. Um, but it all still, it, it has, it has almost like that same intensity. Like everything you learn is just so fascinating. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you have people, <laughs> this is, this is like the, the grown up version of up. <laughs> people talk about the, the opening, the opening act of up as like, you know, this great landmark could like basically short film that could mm-hmm. be self-contained. It's just like the arc of this relationship. And honestly, the, the, the first like 50 minutes of this movie is kind of a similar thing. Yeah. And then the rest of the movie is about something else. Like it's about the same, like the same main character later in life. Um, but it, it just, it all plays out so beautifully and the, the performances are so good and the character dynamics are so complex. And there's all this, the main character is a, a theater director and actor and he has this, this method of, doing of staging plays where he's doing Chekhov, which I wish this movie definitely made me wish I was more familiar with Chekhov. Yeah. Same. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure there are layers and layers in there that, yeah, I'm sure there's layers and layers in there that, that, uh, that I, I am not privy to yes. not being from the Chekhov's work. Sure. I mean, some of it obviously is, is plain enough that you can get the, but I'm sure there's lots that I didn't get, but the way, the thing that he does is that he stages plays, in multiple languages. So he, he just, he, he casts actors irrespective of their first languages and he just has them perform their roles in whatever their first language is. So you have like five or six different languages being spoken on stage. And one of one them is, is Korean sign language. Right. And there are That's some the, of the most in this movie where, right. Where they, ha- they there's an actress who, who is, is not deaf, I guess, but she, she speaks in Korean sign language and she's mute. Right. Uh, and it's it's one of those like it's not even you know that's not what the movie's about no that's that's not like the plot of the movie but it's such a beautiful <laughs> there are a couple of scenes in the movie that fo- that are that really hinge on her sign language and she was also formerly a dancer she's so graceful and beautiful um and just like the like like one of the things that Morgan was saying coming out of it was like I want to see more plays in sign mm-hmm. like I would <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 fascinating, and it's it's one of those like it it is it 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 isn't directly like what the movie's about, but it 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 is in in the thematic way, it's very much what the movie's about about uh, communication, art being uh, communication, and about art being for everyone, not just even things like you know Chekhov plays mm-hmm. are are they're they're not just, and you get that also with the driver the the I can't remember her name. Mm, yeah, I'm blanking too. I can't. I guess I can't remember the main guy's name either. To be fair, I don't yeah. remember any of the characters' names now. But uh, that, that this kind of stuff, even what people might think of and maybe even dismiss as sort of uh, uh, snooty, uh, high art kind of stuff, uh, can be meaningful for everyone mm-hmm. and can be healing for everyone. Uh, <laughs> well, and I think that. I mean, you know, anyone who knows me at all or probably has heard me on this podcast, I would imagine, knows that, like, my obsession with, like, 
the stories that we tell ourselves and the way that we that we understand the world, the stories that we tell about ourselves and about other people in relation to ourselves and how and like this is just like an odd, you know, this is realistically probably something that uh, whether I did it or not, I, I did take from from dad. Right. Of like that, that I really believe that stories are important, but that it's more than just like watching stories. It's like there there are things, you know, the story that I tell about my relationship with you or about my relationship with mom and dad or and about who you are in those things, about who mom is, about who dad is like and like that's all we really know. Right. Like nobody, nobody ever completely knows anything. But sometimes something happens where you get new pieces of information that completely change your understanding of the story you've been telling. Um, and like and that's one of my favorite things. I love when that happens in my life. <laughs> For the most right. part. Um, and this movie is just like an endless unveiling of like, what if we also have this piece of information and that's going to completely shift the way that I understand my story about myself, that I understand mm -hmm. my story. And they don't even have to be alive to get new information. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, Oh my God. It's just, it's incredible. It's fucking incredible. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, right. Wish I, mean, would I think, this picture. I think the, the language thing, the, the theme of the different languages in the plays and stuff, because a big, a big part of it is like, Consider the possibility that maybe these multiple ideas that seem contradictory at first glance might actually coexist together. Yes, holding two things at the same time. Right. What if we hold that it's so much more comfortable to be like, nope, this is the one story. This is the one thing. But no, what if both things are true? What if it's all true? What if what if both of these things are true because people are really complicated and are really never one thing? Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a masterpiece. Oh, I mean, it's, it is. It is. It's incredible. I can't wait to own it. I'm yeah. really glad that it's going to be on HBO because that's, you know, people, I think people are, we've talked a little bit before on here specifically about Korean cinema and culture, about mm -hmm. how it's been making a lot of like major inroads into U.S. pop culture in the last few years. But I think it's it's true of kind of uh, Asian cinema and culture in yeah. general. Yeah. Uh, so I just, and of course it just got all these big Oscar nominations and I'm mm -hmm. sure there's a ton of people who never heard of it, but they look at the, Oh, it got nominated for best picture. Like maybe I should check this out. And it's not, you know, it's not going to work for everyone. <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people of course are comparing it to parasite, right? Cause parasite right. was the other Asian cinema movie that just got nominated for best picture and it won and all that. These are not uh, comparable movies. <laughs> no, the, the much, the much better comparison is Roma. Mm, yeah, uh, I can see that. The, the Mexican, uh, three hour, uh, drama <laughs> that also got that that was also one of the recent foreign language best picture nominees, uh, and that that is a much more uh, accurate parallel I think because Parasite is like a, I mean Parasite is is an immensely like entertaining. Yes. hard-driving thriller comedy movie. popular appeal. If you're but. watching, like if you do have a chance to watch this and I hope you do like, you know, I don't want to make it sound like it's a homework movie. It's really not. It's really, no. but like, give yourself the time to watch it. Like, fine. Like be like, I'm going to have these three hours because I know, especially when it's streaming sometimes, it, but like it so rewards like really being in it. For three hours. Um, so, yeah, it's, oof. I mean, it definitely, 100% would have been on my top 10 of the oh, year. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It, it, probably top three for me. If, yeah, uh, same, same. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Two or one, anyway, probably. But yeah. it, was, it was amazing. I can't wait to watch it again. 
for sure. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, back to your... <laughs> Spotting. Uh, so then we watch Bright Star, because Morgan's been watching through Campion. Um, I was not a big fan, although not for the reasons that you described. I just... I think I actually liked it more than you did. I, I saw your <laughs> I saw I, your your letterbox. Yeah. I, I really do feel like camp like in general, Campion makes difficult women, right? Like that's like they're they're complicated, difficult women most of the time. That's sort of her thing. And how often that works for me it seems seems variable. I always think Campion's a great director. Um but mm-hmm. I just I found her so fucking annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I actually liked her clothes. I disagreed with you on that. But, like, I, I find her so fucking irritating. And I just couldn't, I couldn't get into it. It just, it just wasn't for me. Yep. Also, fucking Ben Wishaw. Come on, that man is not attracted to a woman. Um, yeah. No, that, you're not wrong about that. Yeah. <laughs> I love Ben Wishaw, but, like, he's so gay. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so the next day we went to go see Worst Person in the World. A thing that I did want to mention, connecting worst person in the world, drive my car, and thank you for smoking, uh, (laughs) is that literally when I came out of worst person in the world, I think I put this in my letterbox review, I was like, I wish we smoked more cigarettes in movies. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, there is a shot in drive my car. Right, that's what I was going to say, the big, the big, like gut punch shot and drive my car. I want a poster of it on my wall. <laughs> Yo, I, like, if, a, I bet if Criterion releases it, that's going to be the cover image, I'll oh, bet. <laughs> of the two of them in the car smoking a cigarette, the sunroof is open, and they both put their hands mm-hmm. on the sunroof with their cigarettes. And it's just... Oof. And uh, th- and uh, the worst person in the world has a couple of scenes that really enjoyed, <laughs> like, the <laughs> cinematic nature of cigarette smoke. <laughs> Um, and I was like, oh, uh, but yeah, overall, I, um, it just, it's a well-made movie that just didn't personally touch me. I did wonder at one point if I was just too old for it. Um, hmm. it's really like about like, you know, Morgan is 10 years younger than me. And I think was really like relating to a lot of her feelings about sort of like not knowing what you want to do or where you want to go. And like I kind of remember, like I remember those feelings to some extent for sure, uh, but I don't feel that way now. And so I may just, I may just be, I may, mm. I may just be old. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I think most of the people who vote in the academy are older than you. And that's true. That's true. You know. No, and I mean, and I'm not <laughs> saying it's only for young people. I was just trying to figure out reasons why, why it didn't land for me. But um, I and I kept thinking about this one fucking tweet that I saw where someone was like, I can't wait until the American remake of Worst Person in the World where Dakota, Dakota Johnson plays. Mm. Uh, and she, she does look a little bit like she her. She really yeah. looks a lot like her. <laughs> and I just kept being distracted by that. But it wasn't for yeah. me. But obviously it's, you know. Yeah, it's, it's very high on my list. I thought it was going to be playing at the Pickford this weekend, but apparently it's not. So... Hopefully uh, soon. So then uh, Eric and I, uh, Friday, watched three movies. One of them was Young Adult. We already talked about that. Um, and I was like, okay, Eric, the next movie on Ebert's list is Blow Up, which I haven't seen. Um, I haven't, like, super been longing to, but, like, it's in various lists. So I, I you know, I, I did not expect to like it myself. And it, it seemed even less likely that Eric would like Blow Up. <laughs> <laughs> he is frequently not a fan of of overly artistic uh, things, and so we were like, "All right, well, let's just let's plow through. Let's get it done." So we watched Blow Up, 
Um, and Eric gave it four stars. <laughs> I gave it two. I, it was pretty much what I was expecting. I felt like, like, you know, sixties, you know, sort of psychedelic. All of, but Eric was just like, he just like was sort of enthralled. It was very cute and really fascinating and fun. I think this is the first time I can remember this happening. Like that's one of my favorite experiences, right? When I go to watch a movie and I'm not expecting to like it. And then <laughs> I end up really loving it. I love that. But I feel like that doesn't happen for Eric as often. Um, but he just was really like, at no point in this movie, for a single second, did I understand what anyone was ever going to do. Hmm. It, really, it really worked for him. Okay. I, I, I have not seen that one. I'm generally not a fan of Antonioni, so it is not going to hide on my list. Yeah, I mean, uh, the only other Antonioni I've seen was also with Eric was, I think, La Ventura. Um, right, which I... Uh, La Ventura was a landmark movie for me in that I hated it so much that I almost decided to give up on foreign film entirely. Um, I should probably give it another shot someday because I was like 18 or 19 when I watched it. But I hated that movie so much. I liked La Ventura. Um, okay. I, I would bet I gave it like a three or maybe 3.5. Uh, mm-hmm. But I liked it better, I think, than I liked this one. Uh, I, w- I would say uh, I did see... Brian De Palma's uh, basically a remake of Blow Up called Blowout that I really liked. Uh, so that that one might be worth looking into. But uh, okay. I have not seen Blow Up yet. Yeah, I gave La Ventura a three and a half. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, there were parts of it I did really like. Um, and I believe I gave uh, Blow Up a two. <laughs> or maybe okay. a half. But. And then the last movie we watched on Friday was uh, The Photograph. Which we had wanted to go see. Oh, with um, with Issa Rae and Issa Rae, yeah. other people. It's expiring out of HBO this month. I saw that one in the theater, actually, when it came yeah, out. Yeah, we had wanted to see it in theaters, but it was like right before COVID hit, and then we we just never got there. No, it wasn't. It was like a year before COVID hit. It was 2020. No, it was older than that. I, wasn't don't, it? I don't think that's correct. I think you're wrong. <laughs> it says 2020. Seriously? Yeah. I could have sworn that was at least a year before that. Okay, but it says 2020, so I think you're wrong. All right. <laughs> the time is I guess maybe, maybe it was one of the last things that I saw. Because, right, because it came out on Valentine's yeah. Day, and May and I went to see it together. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was one of the last things I saw before the theater shut down. I did not remember that. I could have sworn it was longer ago than that. Yeah, well, anyways, we watched that. I liked it a lot. I... It really beautiful, soft movie that I felt like was really like evocative of like a number of, of feelings. Really, I, I mean, you know, I, I am I feel like I am specifically uh, set to be a sucker for a romance movie that also includes complicated family mm-hmm. feelings. <laughs> um, but I, I liked it a lot. I thought it, like it's a small movie. It doesn't feel like a but it feels like a really lovely lovely film it looks beautiful and you know uh, i i think you liked it a little more than i did but um i mean i was really excited about the idea of like a romantic drama with Issa Rae and lakeith stanfield i thought that sounded just great mm-hmm. and uh maybe my expectations were a little too high i don't know but I, I liked it okay but i liked it a lot so so yeah so that's all the movies um tv shows i don't have a ton of stuff to i will say i morgan and i watched through the first season of top of the lake um because they're watching uh, Campion. Um, 
it's it's just as depressing as it was the first time. But I need to. Yeah. I So I still haven't watched the second season of that. I watched oh, the first good. season like I watched the first season like way back, like a couple of years before the second season came out. Mm-hmm. And so after the second one came out, I decided I was going to go back and rewatch that and watch the second season. And it was, I can't even remember. I think I watched, I think I only rewatched the first episode. And then for some reason, I just haven't gone back to it. One of these days, I'll yeah, get to it. Yeah. Um, and I watched, uh, Morgan and I have been watching uh, Pam and Tommy, which has been really enjoyable. Uh, been, really? Yeah. No, it's it's really good. Oh. It's it's excellent. I recommend it. Um, it's That's really fascinating. Okay. It's more nuanced than I was expecting for um, like it's really good I, I, I'm really really enjoying it okay um, so recommend that and then also I finally got started on season two of The Great I'm only two episodes in I have still only watched the first two episodes of that, even though I started watching it shortly after they put it up. So I need to go back to that. Yeah, you do. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, when I started watching it, I was like, oh, my God, this is such a good show. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just such a good show. I don't know. You may recall it took me quite a while to get through the first season, too, not because I didn't like it, but just because... I do tend to prioritize the stuff that gets a week by week release. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, so, I mean, I've been watching week by week stuff too, but um, yeah. yeah. Although actually, actually did, maybe the great did get a week by week release. Now that I'm thinking about it, I might be lying to I'm myself sure. to make excuses. I feel like they may have released it one episode at a time. I don't remember. Yeah, I'm definitely. Sure it's all I'm now, like, though. yeah, it is. I'm like two episodes in. I'm super excited to watch the rest, and I'm super excited to at some point go back and show Morgan the whole thing because it's just it's just such a fucking great show. Like, just it's so funny. It's just. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably yeah. I think that that'll do me. What do you got? Okay. Uh, so let's see. Bloody Sunday was the last one we did. Uh, okay, so I, I went to see the new Scream. Okay. Yeah. How did you uh, feel after after we recorded our Bloody Sunday episode? I really liked it. Really. I think it was my favorite of the sequels. Oh man, it did not uh, work for me that well at all. I, yeah, Maybe I, I really need to rewatch it. it. <laughs> well, see, I think part of so it's direct. It, it is not directed by Wes Craven, of course, since he has passed on. Mm-hmm. Um, it was directed by the guys who did that movie, Ready or Not. Right. Uh, which, which I, as I recall, you did not like at all, Discuss, and I really like yes. that movie. So I think there's probably something there. Uh, uh, I thought this this one had it had one thing that none of the sequels have had. Like this series has been completely absent from the series since the original, which was that it was actually kind of scary in parts. Yeah. Um, it had. Uh, I really liked most of the the cast, um, the the new cast, and I you know obviously liked, enjoyed seeing the the old cast back. Um, I like most of them too. I just wish that there had been more of them. I thought it did a pretty decent job of like. It didn't. It didn't hit the same balance of like satire, fourth wall breaking stuff. It didn't hit it as well as the first one did, but I thought it hit it better than any of the other sequels. Um, it was. It was. Uh, it was one thing that I. Th- I thought was. I guess. Uh, maybe a sign of different directors or just a slightly different time was that. Um, if this is a weird thing to say, but it felt more violent than. The other ones, like mm-hmm. there was, there was, I think, kind of a brutality to some of the kills that was absent from the previous series. I mean, in the 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 opening scene, we have, of course, again, we have the opening scene with the girl gets a phone call in her house. Um, that attack includes a 
leg break. Uh, the ghost face stomps on the girl's leg and breaks it, which is quite gruesome and painful. And I feel like is there was nothing like that in. Oh, that's so interesting to me because I think that like the the initial Drew Barrymore death sequence in Scream, I always feel like every time I rewatch it, I am shocked by how brutal it feels. I, I I don't disagree with you, and that one also includes the fact that we get that final shot of her literally gutted. Right. Yeah. Um, which this one, I mean, obviously she, we she don't. Survives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess I guess that's it's the first scene. It's the first scene. Spoiler that the girl in the opening scene survives in this yeah. one, but yeah. Um, and it what was the um, what's her name? Melissa Barrera from In the Heights. I really liked her in In the Heights. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, she was good. And I spent the whole movie trying to figure out why I recognized her and finally had to look it up afterwards to figure it out. But uh, <laughs> uh, she's kind of the main, she's the, the new Sydney, yeah, I guess. Yeah, and I like her. Uh, it's quite good. Um, I feel like I had some more things to say about it, but it's been a couple weeks now and I can't remember. But I really liked it. I, okay. uh, okay. I, yeah, I mean, having just rewatched all the sequels, I feel pretty safe in saying that I liked it better than all the other sequels. Yeah, when I, whenever uh, I watch, Morgan has never seen any Scream movies, so I'm kind of thinking maybe like October this year or something, we'll watch all of them. Because, um, I mean, the original Scream is a masterpiece beyond compare, but like, um, I think they're all worth watching. So we'll probably do that this October or something. And I, I, I did wish that I had had a chance to to rewatch before going to see mm-hmm. it. I think it would have helped. Yeah, I was I was definitely glad that I did. Um, I've also, on a semi-related non-movie note, uh, I have been listening to a podcast uh, about the Scream franchise called okay. Hello Sydney. That is, uh, it's one of one of the the hosts is the guy who hosts that Evolution of Horror podcast that oh, okay. I've been talking about nonstop on here. So yeah, yeah. he's a huge fan of Scream, obviously, and him and and a couple of other uh, film critics who have both been both been guests on that podcast uh let me pull up their names really quick because i don't want to not say their names but i can't find it he has two women who are hosting it with him who are also both quite good (laughs) neither one of them are people that i knew before hearing them on the evolution of order podcast but they're both Mm -hmm. british film critics um so yeah, he they did this this brief like mini series called Hello Sydney that is, they just did one episode per movie. Okay. Um, I'm I think I'm in the middle of the fourth episode right now, but and it, so it's you know they just do like they kind of walk through a little bit of the history of the movie, what happens in it, what they like about it, and it's all if you if you enjoyed the franchise, it's it's fun listening to. Um, and also that you know they kind of play out some of the threads that that follow through the whole franchise and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, really like the new Scream. Uh, and I, uh, going back to the um, <laughs> the Evolution of Horror podcast, uh, I'm still listening to their season about ghost movies. And I watched the Amityville Horror, the original Amityville Horror from 1979. Okay, I have not. Uh, which I, yeah, I had never seen it before. Uh, had no idea that it has James Brolin and Margot Kidder are the main huh couple in that movie i love margot kidder i don't think i had really seen james brolin in much i mean if i look at his filmography he's been in some things that i've seen but he i don't remember him in them so he must have had pretty small apparently he was in catch me if you can he was in the coen brothers true grit okay he was in traffic apparently but i don't remember him in any of those things the main thing about him that is striking to me is the fact that when he was younger like in his 
40s like he was in this movie, he looked exactly like Christian Bale. Oh. Like, looks like Christian Bale in, like, Google it. Google James Brolin in the Amityville Horror and tell me he doesn't look exactly do like that. Christian Bale. James Brolin, Amityville Horror. Okay. Images. He does look a lot like Christian Bale. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and of course, he is the father of Josh Brolin, of course. he's a. He also looks like Josh Brolin. Big name right? <laughs> if... if the, the first time I ever saw a picture of him, I remember this was in a, I think it was an Empire Magazine article back when Daniel Craig got cast as James Bond. They were doing an article of like other people who have were considered for the role and he was one of them. And I spent like five minutes, like some idiot put a picture of Christian Bale in here. Like, I don't know what James Brolin looks like, but that's obviously Christian Bale. <laughs> I finally Googled it and figured out that no, that they just look exactly the same. Uh, anyway, the Amityville Horror is kind of the blueprint for a lot of uh, American ghost haunted house movies. Uh, there is definitely, it is, it was a weird thing about, cause I didn't actually like the Amityville horror that much. I don't think it's that good of a movie. It's a little clumsy. Uh, there's some good things in it, but I don't love it, but mm. there are there. It is one of those movies that it's interesting to watch because you can see so many things like specific things that show up in much better movies years down the line. And like you can even 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 The Shining, oddly enough, which came out the year after this. So I don't know if there would actually have been inspiration from this, because, of course, Kubrick took forever to film his stuff. And they were probably already filming The Shining when they made the Amityville Horror. But there's a, there's literally a scene in the Amityville Horror where the father, having gone crazy from the haunted house, takes an axe to chop through a bathroom door to get to his family that are hiding in there. <laughs> like, it doesn't play out exactly the same way as the scene in The Shining does, but it's, uh, yeah, it's striking. Um, but uh, apparently this movie was a, it, it is still one of the highest grossing independent films of all time, apparently, or the most okay. successful, like obviously in inflation, whatever, but uh, it was apparently a massive hit and there was a ton of sequels to it. And so they're still making sequels and remakes of it. Uh, but all in all, I didn't think it was that good. Okay. <laughs> it's a weird because it is, it's interesting. It's very interesting. If you're interested in like seeing the precursor to all of this other stuff, uh, there's a lot of the conjuring. There's a lot of, a lot of this movie in the conjuring. Um, but yeah, some, it just didn't come together all that well for me. So, um, I watched a 1999 Korean cop movie called Nowhere to Hide. Sure. That they had on Mubi. Uh, basically, I just I, whenever I have the opportunity to watch Korean genre movies, I'll I'll usually take it. I had, had not heard of this one, but uh, it was okay. One thing though that's really stood out to me, and has also stood out to me about some of the other Korean movies that I've watched, is how differently police are portrayed in Korean film versus mm -hmm. American film. Mm -hmm. Cause the cops in this movie are psychopaths. <laughs> I mean, they're the main characters in the movie. They're the heroes, but they are like snatching people off the streets and torturing them in the police office. Like just beating people for information. Like they are lunatics. But at one point, one of them shoots a guy in self-defense and kills him and is basically catatonic he's so upset at having done this huh, okay 
it's it's very it's it's a very strange contrast to you know and I, I don't think the movie is necessarily endorsing the you know police torturing people um i think it's it has a little more nuanced uh perspective than that but uh yeah it's weird it is a weird counter to the way I, like i think a, a much better example of this is Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a much better movie in every way and also has at least one of the cops in that movie was basically a psychopath. Um, but yeah, uh, movie was OK. It's about a couple of cops who are chasing this um, this gangster, basically, who was uh, involved in a assassination. So they're it's a you know, it's kind of a detective action movie. So they're they're arresting people that they know were known associates of his and then people from them they're finding out other people who were present at the assassination so they go after them and they're trying to kind of like narrow the search down to this one guy and it's, it's it was pretty good it's pretty well done um uh next i watched drive my car which we already talked about and then the other night uh may and i were both in the mood to watch something creepy and we've been talking about guillermo del toro after seeing nightmare alley so we watched crimson peak again uh, which I think this is the third or fourth time I've seen that movie, and I like it more every time I watch it. It's one of his best movies. It's a great movie, and it's yeah. it is it is I would say his most underrated movie because there's still a lot of people who are just really not into it, which is very sad because it's great. And also, one thing that has has struck me before, but really struck me watching this, is that Guillermo del Toro really loves destroying human faces on screen. <laughs> yes. It's like a central aspect of the violence in his movies a lot of the time in a way that I don't think I've ever seen anyone else do. Uh, and it's very effective and horrifying. Um, but yeah, great movie. If you haven't watched Crimson Peak because you've heard that it wasn't as good as his other movies. That's a lot. Uh, <laughs> it's really good. Uh, and then last thing, I watched a movie that uh, is difficult to talk about because the title is a word that I wouldn't normally say out loud. Ah, yes, uh, I'm looking at your letterbox. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's a an ethnic slur against Koreans and Asians in general. G O O K, um, directed by a Korean American actor director Justin Chon, who apparently most people know from his role in the Twilight movies. Um, I I did watch the first Twilight not that long ago. I talked about it on here, but I didn't remember him from that. But uh, he's he has been doing directing for the last few years. This was. I think this was his first feature. It was the first one I heard about, anyway. And it's um, oh yeah, I remember him from Twilight. He's very attractive. <laughs> it is set during the uh, the LA riots, so it's it's these two Korean American brothers who own a shoe store in LA uh, during the the post um, Rodney King trial riots. Um, so of course things go poorly. Uh, it's, uh, it is maybe one of those movies that tries to take on a little too much, uh, you know, a very young director trying to prove himself. Right. Uh, a lot of, uh, Spike Lee inspiration going on, I think. Um, but it's pretty good. It's definitely worth watching. And I'm, he had a movie came out last year, I think called Blue Bayou. That looks pretty interesting. Oh, it's that sounds familiar. Good. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I definitely want to check that one out as well now having seen this one it was pretty good so okay uh i think that's all i don't think i really have much in the way of tv um 
still watching Golden Girls. <laughs> we're we're in season season three now. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, I haven't really been watching much TV. So I do want to throw out a podcast recommendation. It's not it's not brand new, but I've been listening to it. I hadn't realized that the podcast This Land had put out a second season. Um, and the first season is really good as well. Um, this land, the first season is about a Supreme Court case around Native, um, I mean, th- th- their land, basically. Um, their land rights, yes. And then the second season is specifically about the fight to get rid of ICWA, the Indian Child Welfare Act. Um, and I am simultaneously fucking infuriated and fascinated. It's a really great podcast. And I think that particularly, like, I, I was really lucky in my undergrad that I got to take multiple Native American courses uh, from a Native American man who was incredible. Um, and so I, I think I, I learned a lot like so much that I have realized in my post-college years that, that like I definitely didn't know before. And a lot of people don't know if you feel like you don't know a lot about like tribal sovereignty and the way that a lot of these things work in the U.S. This is a fantastic initial primer to some of this stuff. She just does an amazing sure. job. No. Um, so it's, it's really, I think there are 10 episodes per season or something. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, I, I really just can't recommend it enough. And I just happen to be listening to the second season right now. So. Yeah, I love that one as well. I, I, I had heard a couple other podcasts do episodes about ICWA and even about this specific case. I think 99PI did one, and I feel like maybe an episode of The Daily about it, The New York Times, The Daily, maybe mm-hmm. some some news podcast that I listened to. I don't remember for sure, but I had never heard anything nearly as in-depth as this one, and it's uh, it is, uh, it's great. It's fantastic really well um, and infuriating. Yeah. And, of course, like the more mm-hmm. I listen, I'm like, yes, yes, of course it's the white Christian family who uh, – <laughs> adopted the child and like the one thing she doesn't say when she's talking about them adopting this child she has a thing where she quotes the woman as saying that like you know whatever he'll gain from culture from having his culture or whatever won't be as much as is taken away from him by being separated from this family and she goes into like you know she doesn't know anything about native culture and i was mm-hmm. like like it's worse than that it's not that she it's not that she thought that he would gain something from culture she thinks that his culture is evil like right. she thinks she's saving this child. Like it's yep. it's not just that like the benefits wouldn't weigh out. It's that she doesn't think there are benefits. Like, mm-hmm. and it's it's infuriating. But again, just I I think that everyone who can should learn as much as they can about native rights and native um the, the history of natives in our country and and how that plays out very presently very much today um and this mm-hmm. is just a fantastic primer for that that's like pretty easy access so this land yeah you for sure to watch it or to listen to it rather agreed cool. all right well i guess next year we'll talk or next year next <laughs> next time we'll talk about god on trial and, and that'll that'll be fun yeah. uh, <laughs> okay okay <laughs> goodbye everyone bye